This is Nicole Raphael in Vancouver, BC. You're listening to I Love This, You Should Too with Indy Randawa and Samantha Hees. Coming to you from a very dark, very hot kitchen in the heart of Edmonton, Alberta, this is I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast. Sam was about to jump in and say, a podcast! I was! <laughs> she, she needs to identify it as a podcast so you don't get confused. But my name is Indy Randawa, and with me is my co-host, Samantha Hees. Hi! So, Sam, how are you today? I'm good. I'm warm. It was good until we closed all the curtains so we could record... Yeah, it's very hot, and we closed all the windows now. And... For sound quality, for you guys. Yeah. But it's uh, it's been a good weekend, actually. It's the first really nice weekend of the summer, and I'm happy. But I think, according to the rest of the world, it's probably, like, uh, mid-September September now. It could still be warm. That aside, I'm having a good weekend, so... Good. And do you want to mention what you are drinking today? Yes, uh... We were at the farmer's market yesterday, and we picked up some beer from SYC Brewing here in Edmonton. This is the Sandy Beach American Pale Ale. Uh, It's a 4.5% pale ale, which is, it's very refreshing and kind of juicy. Yeah, it's good. I actually don't like this one nearly as much as their other ones, but that's not a shot at this beer. It's that they have some really good other stuff. They... I did a tasting with them a couple weeks ago, and pretty much everything got over a three out of five from me. Yeah. Speaking about rating things that you hadn't tried before, let's get into our little podcast. Did you see that? Good that segue. segue. That was a very good segue. <laughs> that was a little labored, but I think it works. <laughs> we are now in 2019. It's a world of very slick, very polished, convoluted heist films where someone in a $3,000 suit will narrate over this big plan that he did and everything went off accordingly. But the movie I had Samantha watch is, I guess, the exact antithesis to any of those Oceans movies. We watched Dog Day Afternoon from 1975. It was a movie that I had actually only seen once, probably as like an 18 or 19 year old, but I loved it so much that I suggested that she watch it for this. So first thing, Samantha... I love this movie. Did you? I liked this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit more reserved on my um, on my rating for it. I think that I can appreciate it, but it's definitely not the genre of movie that I would jump for. Did you well, did it hold up for you? That's always what I'm interested in knowing. Yes. Okay. So, we haven't done a movie yet that I'd consider one of my top 10 favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And this isn't in there. I did think it was one of the the best movies, and I may temper that a little bit, but yes, absolutely. It's a great movie. Okay. Good to know. Then what is your favorite part of Dog Day Afternoon? I think Sonny and his relationship with Sal was my favorite part. It was really touching, um, because Sal, I think, and I don't know about like real life Sal, Mm -hmm. but in the movie, they played him as a little bit less cunning and smart. I think that's a very nice way to say it. He's less than cunning, yes. I think that Sonny, while he is like, yes, he's using him as like a hired gunman, I think he really does care for him. And I think that Sal 
does well in the movie because he has Sonny next to him, kind of supporting him and caring for him. Those are all things that I want to talk about more later. Okay. Because I can tell you a bit about the the real lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I can tell you why these two actors are working together. And I might question a little bit about whether or not Sonny really cares for Cell or not. But let's talk about all that later. Okay. Um, What was your favorite part? I think my favorite part is just how this movie is presented, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. It's very uh, journalistic. Yes. I love that this movie is done in a way where we are left to make up our own minds about everything. Yeah. There's uh, no score in the movie. Did you notice that? It was a very quiet movie. Yeah. And I did notice that. And I think that's part of what I wasn't a super huge fan about. Right. But you're right. With a movie like Bring It On, which we've previously done, I think that really forces you to think things about the characters with the musical choices. Oh, that was like so, so heavy handed with that. But it plays into the type of movie. And it It does. And I think this type of movie is it's very straight and it's very um, serious. And it really um, takes you up with it. and really... It seems like a documentary. It does, times. yeah. I mentioned in the last episode that this movie is re- a real slice of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And I definitely still agree with that. I could see that, yeah. There's also no artificial lighting. It's all just lit with the lights that they would have had there. I could see that. I could see that for sure. Yeah, it just seems very much like these characters and their actions are the only things that are going to inform us. It doesn't try to convince us of anything either way. And I I appreciated that about it. Then what is your least favorite thing about the movie? I think the inclusion of his wife and his mom. I didn't like the way they played those characters. And maybe that's very close to reality and the truth and how they were. Maybe it's like a straight, you know, characterization of what they were like. But I didn't like how hysterical they both seemed. Yes, I can understand And it was that. very stereotypical, like, oh, my crazy wife. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I don't think that that was a fair representation. And like I said, maybe it is just how they were. Yeah. Maybe they did an interview with Sonny in jail and they said like... But I think for the most part of our conversation, we can't rely on the real situation no. too much. Because this is based on a true story. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a bit of a crutch when people talk about like, well, this this isn't what happened in real life or this is different in the book. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the movie. And I think what you're saying about both of those characters is very true. They're very... um harsh and shrill and right in your face and i don't use the word hysterical a lot but i think that definitely works here yes i'd say that those were those were the hardest characters to watch i think yes out of everything i think i might even agree with you for my least favorite part uh the mother character was just so much Mm -hmm. and just constantly going and i get that there are people like that i i had a less of a problem with his wife his first wife yes because it seemed to play into the idea that Sonny has like all these things pressuring him constantly. Going on in- And I th- yeah. feel like that being elevated the way it was kind of led into his character. Although it, I understand what you're saying. It was at the cost of her character. Yes. Uh, that wife character was used just to further Sonny's own character development when she didn't really have too much of her own. Yes, yeah. But it was just a small part in a phone call, so I guess it's it's hard to get too much into that. Right. For all of these movies, it's a uh, spoiler zone, of course. We're going to be talking about everything. But I've 
become aware that a lot of people will listen to these podcasts without having seen the movie, which I think you definitely should watch the movie, but in case they haven't, since you're a first-time watcher, you're maybe less uh, invested in it. Could you tell me the the story? What happens in the movie Dog Day Afternoon? So this is going to be a very bad summary of the movie. I can uh, chime in sometimes if I feel the need. So it's August 22nd, 1973. It looks like a hot day in Brooklyn. The bank is just about to close for the day, and Sonny and Sal enter looking like patrons with a third man who runs away. Yes. Just can't do it. Then they proceed to hold up the bank um, way past closing time into the evening. Basically, you get to see all the people who work in the bank and their different personalities and how they deal with the situation. Well, it's of- a hostage scene. I was trying to say on how they deal with being taken hostage, which is different for all of them. And you also see um, how hot it gets in the bank and how they deal with all of the different like physical stressors that are in the situation. And then um, the NYPD, I guess, or the Brooklyn. I don't think Brooklyn has its own. I think it's NYPD. NYPD. Yeah. So the NYPD comes in and starts to negotiate with um, Sunny and Sal mostly sunny and um then the fbi comes in and then um they start to get some of their demands and then uh the ending happens i'm gonna leave it there (laughs) because we'll talk about it (laughs) that was good i think uh maybe one thing that we want to mention and maybe talk about right off the beginning is the reveal is sunny's wife because we talked about the one wife whose name i forget oh i can't remember but her last name was like Bafulco or something. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, very Italian. Yes. Uh, his wife. But then later in the movie, when Sonny is kind of at his most desperate, he demands to that his wife be brought in. Yes. And who's brought in is a character played by Chris Sarandon. Yes. And the character was born male, but is close to physically transitioning to being female. Leon is his name as a man. Yeah, and they refer to Leon as him throughout, so I think we can do the same because... I think so. That seems like it was... The way Leon kind of saw things is that he was a man until the operation. Yes. And, and he, I guess if that's what he feels like, then we'll go with he. I know we said we weren't going to talk about like the historical side of this, but he did live in Brooklyn as a woman and became quite famous, actually. Later, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, we'll call him Leon. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you know this, but Chris Sarandon was also Jack Skellington. Yes, of course I know. Of course you know that. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, I know. One of your favorite movies, <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, I saw that online and I was like, Indy probably already knows yeah. this. But <laughs> anyway, I really liked the way that they played this character. And I found it really surprising because I feel like in the 1970s, people weren't quite as sensitive to that that set of issues and i think that's a great example of how this movie just lets you decide on everything it doesn't say like hey he's gay that's great hey he's great gay that's terrible it's hey he's gay this is who he is and he wants to be a woman oh i was kind of talking about sunny at this point but yes sorry i was still thinking about leon um all of that all of these situations are just presented as they are Mm -hmm. and i think in a lot of movies Maybe now that are about the past, mm-hmm. they'll have a gay character or I'll see like a Western movie that has a black character and no one bats an eye on it. At yes. It, which is strange because that would be quite remarkable for the time. So I like how they presented it here that 
Sunny wasn't a gay man who did these things. Everything wasn't driven because of the fact that he was gay. No. And I think we um, we fall back on any group that's kind of underrepresented in film, in television. Whenever we do see a representation, that is their defining characteristic. Yes. And they don't allow them to exist as just people who happen to be gay, who mm-hmm. happen to be of a certain minority. Yes. And, and this movie lets them do that a lot. And Sunny being gay doesn't come in until maybe a good hour into the movie. And it really has no effect on the plot. And it's it doesn't. Just, it just makes it a little bit more heartwarming because he's doing this for the person he loves yes that's also a reveal is that he is robbing this bank so he can uh, pay for this gender reassignment surgery or sex change as it's called in in the 70s in the 70s yes. for leon for leon yes and i love that mm-hmm. and i love that we don't get to see that until like, you really get to know the characters before that major plot point like doesn't define him yes it doesn't define the movie and i think especially in the 70s that if they came out and said that the lead character of this movie is gay, that would color a lot of the audience's reaction to him. I think so. And maybe having that later, having people be able to bond to this character, kind of go through this journey with him, and then discover that he's gay is like a great way. It's a great tool because how many times have I met people who said like they they got to know me and they're like, oh, you know what? You colored folks aren't so bad after all. Right? And they, they <laughs> you get to l- know Sonny before you realize he's gay. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting, and it's, it's a little sad because like this is something that is very prevalent in the gay community. Um, I liked that Sal still had a reaction to possibly being called a homosexual because they said two homosexuals are robbing the bank. Yeah, and Sal, ha- Sal has very few concerns throughout the movie, but he really but that wants is to one of them. let the news know that I'm not gay. And that's yeah. very of the time. And yeah. I like that even though they were very like light with the issue of Sunny being gay, they still were very of the time with the fact that Sal did not want to be known as gay, and he did not want to be talked about on the news as a homosexual. Yes, and even um, the police, they're trying to take it seriously because this is a hostage hostage situation. I'm going to have trouble saying that. Yeah, it's a hard one. (laughs) Um, There is one cop in the background who's kind of, uh, he starts smirking when Leon is talking about how he's a woman trapped in a man's body, and he scoffs at it. But then the other cop, uh, who's kind of in charge of it, Moretti, I believe his name is. I think so, yeah. Like, kind of calls him out on it, gives him a look. And that could be also a look that he's giving to the 1975 audience, that if you're scoffing at this, mm-hmm. you're missing the point. There's some yes. important stuff going yes. on here. Um, it's but- a really ahead of its time in that way. Yes. I think it's still something we really struggle with. Of course, if you have a gay character in a movie, that's not so rare. But having a gay character who can exist... As a character. And not as, be like a gimmick or like yes. a like a stereotypical gay character. Yeah. Or even having a gay lead in a movie that isn't about them coming out as being gay. Yes. Yeah. They can just not something have, have a, a pre-existing of. gay character that you don't need to like touch on. And when we find out through Leon's phone call with Sonny that he's been diagnosed being a woman trapped in a man's body. Because yes. this is at a time where... Homosexuality, I believe, was still a in the DSM. I believe so. Yeah, um, in the DSM. In throughout the seventies, and wanting to to change your gender was only put out of it very recently. I'd say within the last like ten, yes, ten fifteen years. Yes, yeah, I think maybe even more recently. <laughs> maybe than even that. more recently that we want to like think. But 
something that wasn't treated as mental illness at the time was PTSD, mm-hmm. which I would argue that both Sonny and Sal are suffering from. Absolutely. Because after the Vietnam War, yes. they were both veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they were very much um, affected by what a lot of veterans back then were affected by, which was PTSD. And they got dropped back into their normal day lives and expected to just live yeah. Normally. And I go back to your life. I like how it plays out with the two characters because Sonny, it seems like he has a definite aversion to violence, which sounds crazy because he's robbing a bank with a gun, but <laughs> yes. he definitely does not want to hurt anyone. No. He just wants to get what he needs, which is money. Mm-hmm. And he wants to leave everyone. I mean, he orders them pizza yeah. <laughs> and Coke and like make sure that they have things so that they don't get ill or like have any kind of bad experience other than the bank robbery so let's talk about how the movie starts off which i love because it starts off very much like a documentary it's just shots of things happening in new york city i liked that view of new york city because it's not a new york that we know about the post even like after giuliani kind of changed new york things were a very different but this seems like this is a dirty new york city this is a dangerous city This is a city where the the state bird is a pigeon with a switchblade. Like, this New York looks scary and grimy. It does. And it comes through throughout the movie, too. I think that's something that you gain from having the movie made so quickly after the event happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the, the movie really benefits from that. Yeah, but just think of how strange of a choice that is. If we had a movie now, which we are having movies about, like, Steve Jobs or whoever, things that are happening in relatively recent memory. But we definitely don't set it up that way. You wouldn't see a movie like that with just shots of people in malls, people down on the street. doing stuff. Because we just kind of take it for granted. Like, yeah, this is the time, so of course. That's what it looks like. But it's like Dog Day Afternoon is almost knowing that it would be kind of a classic and, and that kind people of, would be watching this for years to come yeah yeah or just that it is that real truly journalistic style and it's setting its characters up its plot up not by telling you a lot because it doesn't it gets right into mm-hmm. it but just showing you this is what the city looks like yeah and i think that first part is the only time where the director really ever tries to show us something the only time he really tries to say something specific because those shots are always intercut there's someone who's very well off and mm-hmm. then someone who's not and that's kind of the the struggle that's really at the heart of this movie even more so than sunny and the police is the money versus yeah the haves versus the have-nots it's a good way to and that's it. set up really nicely through those uh, those shots those going shots, back yeah. and forth yeah um i have a question um the flower box with the gun yes is that in another movie or do i know that from dark day afternoon that's just a thing that's in many many movies okay Okay, because I recognized that while we were watching the movie, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I know this, like, idea. Yeah, I think it's in many movies and also in real life. It's happened a lot because how else do you get a large gun into a bank but in a flower box? Very true. Anyway, that was something that I was thinking about while we were watching the beginning of the movie was because I I felt like I'd seen that before, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure if maybe I had seen this movie before and just kind of forgotten about it or if that was just something that people... People do when they're robbing a bank. This may be like a 14-year-old Samantha was like, you know what? I'm going to watch Dog Day Afternoon. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved how quickly the movie starts off. Because like you say, we have those shots of the city and then Sonny's in there and he's robbing the bank. Yes. We have one character that leaves right away, which I think is also like really funny. That's funny. 
And it starts off, well, let me ask you as a first-time watcher, in that first sequence, what kind of a movie did you think you were watching? And is it the same movie that you got later on? I think that I was a little thrown off from the, like, kind of the trip through New York City that you get at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it looked a little bit lighter than what you immediately get into, which is the bank robbers walking into the into the bank and robbing the bank and, like... I think I was a little thrown off by that. Yeah, I think at the beginning, it plays like a comedy for it the does, most part. It does, with the music and everything and the shots, oh. and it felt- Oh, no, I'm saying even um, like once the robbery starts, it plays like a comedy. Oh. Oh, because like him <laughs> getting the gun out of the box? Yeah, he, so he can't get the gun out of the box. One of the robbers is like, I can't do this, I have to go- and then Sonny's like, well, leave me the keys. And the guy's like, well, how will I get home? And he goes, well, you take the subway. Just I need the, I need the car. Like that kind of stuff plays like a comedy. It does. Um, he's jumping up to spray the security cameras. But because he's 5'7 Al Pacino, he can't get up there. Yeah. So he's jumping up and down trying to spray the security cameras. <laughs> uh, then, some, then once he has the hostages, someone's husband calls and asks, will she be home for dinner? So all of these things are like really play very light and funny. Like I laughed out loud. At I did too. I did too. And um, one of my favorite lines was "Watch your language." Oh yeah, because someone says the f word. I think. Yes, yeah, Sunny's swearing a lot. And and suddenly they're like, "Watch your language." And he's very apologetic. Yeah, he's, he's like, oh, like oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I, just, I say what yeah. I feel. I'm really amped Oops. up." And yeah, he is very amped up. And I think that also brings him down to more of a like a straight, like the comedy kind of dies at that point. I, I think like. very soon after that, Sal has a line where he says, like, remember what we said about just throwing bodies out of here? I'm ready to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. That's the point where you're like, oh, I Shit. forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that people could die. At this is moment. a crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought just going back to the gun out of the box, him getting it out of the box was like the least smooth thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And it was And it was funny. Perfect. It was yeah. super funny. A lot of the movie was improvised. Oh, really? I could see that, actually. And it makes perfect sense why a movie like this would be, because they're trying to make it that that journalistic documentarian style. Right. There are several instances where people stumble over their words, which mm -hmm. just makes it seem more real. Like, they'll say, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. And they'll uh, say something and they go, no, 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 what I meant was. And it kind does of, sound very, like, like interview, like, on the spot kind of. Yeah, because they're not saying these set lines. There's no big speeches and things. No. Yeah. In our pre-episode, we talked about the Attica riots. Yes. And I feel like... Um, I was thinking with all the involvement of the police and the barricades and everything and how much of a celebrity like Sunny seems to become every time he comes out, there's like a cheering crowd and then and then the like the drag queens come and there's like the gay community there and it's just like he's like a celebrity. And I think this is a really good time for them to rob the bank because everyone was against the police due to the Attica riot. Yeah, definitely, but I think that doesn't really practically help them all that much no but i think it just makes it a little bit less easy to just shut down the bank robbery because they have right. all these people who could riot at any moment that's the thing and also it just uh would play terribly in the press if they storm in there and end up killing one of these hostages yes at one point sunny tells the hostages like they'll shoot you you know yeah they don't care they'll do you hear what they did in attica yeah it definitely helps them out because I think maybe and if this was before that, the police could just storm in and if a person gets killed, oh well, because it's not 
that kind of stuff happens all the time and they yes. wouldn't be as worried about it maybe. But because they've already got this black mark on their, mm-hmm. on their current record and they're like, oh, the police killed a whole bunch of people and they didn't care. Yeah. Then like maybe they have to treat this a little bit lighter. Yeah. That being said, how often today do are there police killings of certain things and then it doesn't really change all that much. Yeah. I'll get off my little... <laughs> it's a little too political for today. <laughs> later, later. Oh, it's coming back when we talk about... Excellent. The 70s versus now. But let's go more lighthearted. Let's talk about Sal. (laughs) A not-so-bright guy with clear PTSD who's willing to murder people. Who thinks Wyoming is a country. Aw, Sal. So what did you think about this character? I think immediately once he started interacting in the bank robbery, you can kind of tell that he wasn't super smart or super there. And I think that he plays really well because Sonny comes across very smart. And I think one of his handicaps is that he has this PTSD and they both clearly very much have this PTSD. But I think um, Sonny's dealing with it a little bit better. Yeah, because how Sonny deals with it, maybe it's almost in a sense that he tries to help everyone else to Mm -hmm. kind of affect the things that he can. Yes. Because he's having such a hard time, like, improving his own life. Yeah. While Sal, on the other hand, is much more in the classic sense of what we think of PTSD in he is kind of has that thousand yard stare all the time. He's not all there. And he's become so desensitized to violence that he's willing to kill these people who are really treating him quite nicely, all these hostages. Yes. And they're, they're really cooperating and they're really trying to like do whatever they can. I think by making Cell such a um, not so bright guy, it's much easier for us to sympathize with him. And I I think think for the hostages too. I think so. Yeah. Because I think that they can kind of see that he's not quite all there. Oh, clearly. Yeah. There's that one part where one of the hostages gives Sal some rosaries because she's worried about him because he's scared because it's his first flight. Right. That was a, such a like beautiful but very sad yes. part as well. And I, I, I think she knows that as soon as she gets out of that car, they're going to be shot. Oh, do you? I think the hostages thought that these two are on their way and they're leaving and they'll be fine. Yeah. I feel like a couple of them kind of know. Like, there's there's calmer hostages. Right. A couple of the women are a little bit calmer, and the bank manager is a little bit calmer, and I feel like they know that they just have to go along with it, and then eventually they're going to get sent out of the car, and then stuff's going to go down. I think they know that there's no way that these people are going to be able to go to wherever they're planning on going. So should we use this opportunity to start talking about that ending? Sure. So the ending, we're going to ruin it for you. We're ruining the whole movie. We think that Sonny and Sal and the hostages are about to board a plane. They've left the bank when very, very quickly, Sal is shot in the head Mm -hmm. and Sonny's gun is pulled down, rendering him uh, harmless. So that ending, you, when we talked about it in the last episode, you thought that there was going to be lots of shooting, it was going to be really violent. I did think that. In the end, we only had one death, and I think it's very shocking. Did you see this ending kind of coming? Uh, No. I think once we started watching the movie, I think I could see that, like, one of them was going to die. And I think that... By Sal dying, I think, um, because he'd been played as a little bit more of a sympathetic or, like, a pathetic character, I think that really hit me kind of emotionally. And Mm -hmm. I think that I really liked the way that it ended because you could tell that not only was Sonny being arrested, but he had also just lost a very good friend of his. And he really 
was feeling how they'd failed, how they'd like it wasn't the outcome he wanted, and how he was currently like his life was pretty much over because he was going to jail. Oh, interesting. Because I felt that Sonny didn't necessarily care all that much about Sal at points. Oh. So there's at one point before they leave that the now I think it's the FBI boss guy, he says to Sonny, don't worry, we're going to take care of Sal. Right. When it goes down, don't you worry about it, we'll take care of Sal. And then Sal asks Sonny, what did they say? And he's like, oh, yeah, nothing. It was about uh, where they're going to drive the bus in. Right. So I think he knows that if he sacrifices Sal, he might... Get out alive. He might get out alive. Mm. And I kind of felt at the end there, like, definitely he was upset about it. But it was more of a, I failed at this. I fail at everything, at all these people that were depending on me, and I failed everyone. Mm -hmm. Of course, Sal being one of them. But I don't think it was as much of, like, oh, my good, good friend Sal is dead. I don't think he had that kind of guilt on him. But we're reading all of this from just Al Pacino sitting in a car, and all he says is, don't shoot me. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's kind of can speak on how great Al Pacino was in this, which we'll talk about when we talk about Sonny. But at the ending, I really liked how, just like the rest of the movie, it was very stark, there's no music, and the credits continue to roll over this uh, crime scene. It ends with, once Sal gets shot, Sonny just puts up his hands and goes, don't shoot me. Yeah. I'm done. And that's it for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then he just sits there in silence and he's arrested and credits roll over this scene, mm-hmm. which was super sad. It was very sad. It was yeah. a very sad ending to the film. And yeah. it really, it makes them seem very human. So let's go back to Sal just a little bit. Sure. So his character was very much a soldier. He's maybe the perfect soldier in the sense that he doesn't want to think for himself. He doesn't want to ask questions, but he'll do exactly what it's what he's told. Yes. And he can be is willing to be very brutal if he needs to. That's a good way to put it. Because yes, he is willing to do whatever Sonny asks him to do. And he occasionally kind of speaks up and speaks his own mind, but then is very quickly in check and like ready to go back to like, whatever you need, boss. Yes. I liked how Sal was wearing a suit. They both come in in suits. Yeah. Uh, Sal keeps his on the entire time. Yes. His tie is done up the entire time because he's business. While Sonny, on the other hand, first the tie's gone, then the shirt's gone, and he's like all disheveled, and you can see the stress on mm-hmm. him throughout. So a little bit about uh, the actor playing Sal, because his name's uh, John Cazale, or Cazale mm-hmm. maybe, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I think it's kind of important because he was brought in on Pacino's request. Oh. He plays Fredo in the Godfather Godfather movies. Oh, interesting. And John Cazale has only been in, I believe, five movies. Uh, Godfather, Godfather 2. There's a clips of him in Godfather 3, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter, and The Conversation. So he was in, only in those movies. Every single one of those movies was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Well, and I think also hitching your your wagon to Al Pacino's star is like... At that time, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was very smart of him. Yeah. Um, but he was he was great. Like, I think he gets a bad rap because he often plays these kind of uh, not-so-smart characters. Fredo is kind of in the same vein. He knows his niche. Yeah, but he does it very well. Yeah, he knows what he does well. And you have to be smart to play stupid. Yes. 
Although there's some people. Maybe not. (laughs) Some people are just stupid. There was one other thing that I told you about that you got very sad. So Sal has that line to the woman, like, oh, don't smoke. Your body's a temple. And he says, like, I don't want to get the cancer. Yeah. And then I told you. At the end, during the credits, it's like. I told you that uh, John Cazale did die from lung cancer from smoking. From smoking. So that's the main reason he only did those five movies. That's so sad. And also, like, really ironic that that was the line that, like... Yeah, he has a line saying it. That's kind of that's spooky. <laughs> Don't though. smoke, you'll die, and then he dies. So should we talk about Al Pacino and Sonny? Yes. First of all, you don't really know too much of Al Pacino. No, I think I had a different view of him. So what do you think, what do you think of his performance in this? So I think I know him from the Godfather movies. Which you haven't seen, but you kind of know of. But, like, it's like a pop culture thing, right? Like, you know of the Godfather movies, even though you haven't seen them. Yes, this was just after Godfather 2. Okay, so I really liked him in this. I think he's just fantastic. I think he's very talented, and I think I had a different view of him. And maybe it was because the Godfather is so very... Like, it's very much like, oh, Al Pacino, Godfather. And mm-hmm. it's it's such a character that he plays that I think I thought that he was only capable of playing that character. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, young Al Pacino was was quite varied. He did a lot of different things. Which he I, seems very versatile. He doesn't get credit for these days because he's, he's like a lot Godfather. of those actors. He's a caricature of himself <laughs> yes. in, in current movies. And yes, that too. <laughs> but we'll save you our impressions this time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised by him, and I think that um, I have a little bit more respect for him as an actor now. Oh, it's only going to get better from here, because eventually we're going to watch Godfather. Okay. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah. Although I think this might be his best performance. Yeah, maybe even better than uh, Godfather, because he just, he has the opportunity to do so much more in this, I think. So what do you think of the, the character of Sonny that he played? I liked the way he, like, played this character. I think that um, he did a really good job of playing the PTSD aspect of it um, without making it like, oh, he has PTSD, clearly. Like, it was like, it came out... Well, that wasn't even a thing, that wasn't even a term at the time, so I don't think he could have played it like that because that wasn't uh, something in the culture. Right. But I guess he just felt that maybe his character was informed from from his experiences in the war and that kind of... And he handles it really well. Yes. I liked that he still clearly cared about his family, like yes. his mother. Like he, he went out and talked to her. And even though he was like, no, mom, go home. Like, I think that's kind of his um, his defining characteristic is he has almost a, a murder complex. Yes. He has to do everything for everyone. This is like, this is my job. This yes. is how everything I is go. His job. Yes. And I think that sending his mom home, making sure Leon's safe. Mm-hmm. Taking care of Sal, I think that, yeah, he really does take on that martyr role and he really wants to make sure that he is the only one if anybody gets hurt. Yeah, because he's paying his parents' rent, I think they mentioned. I think so, yeah. He's trying to pay for this surgery for Leon. He's taking on everyone's problems on himself and it only compounds this idea we already have of a Vietnam vet returning in the 70s to a terrible economy, not able to get a job. Yes. But then he's taking on all these extra things mm-hmm. as well. And you can really feel the uh, feel the pressure that's put on him. It kind of comes out through the, through the heat of the yes. movie. Sometimes it's very literal, very figurative in other points, but all of these things are pulling at him and he, he just doesn't know what to do. And he's always saying, like, I'm dying here. Yes. That's kind of his quote of yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm dying here. I love the first time he says it. He's talking on the phone and he says, we're dying here. Mm-hmm. Meaning like all these people that they're all kind of in the same boat, although they are, they work at the bank. They don't really represent the bank. They don't represent no. this kind of a higher socioeconomic part. He even mentions how little that these tellers make. Yes. Because he knows he he's worked in this yes. field. And he kind of includes them in this, that he's on their side in a way. Yes. That we're dying here. We the uh, we the proletariat. Don't go on a proletariat rant. All right, all right. But uh <laughs> but that's that's definitely how this movie's set up. And it's great that it is a bank because that is something easy to to demonize Mm -hmm. like if he was robbing uh people you wouldn't be able to get on his side nearly as easily but it's this big faceless bank and the people who work for the bank are kind of on his side a little bit too yes because he makes it very clear that he's not robbing them he's robbing the bank they just happen to work at the bank remember when they open the safe and there's eleven hundred dollars in there and the woman starts crying she's like i'm sorry yeah I didn't know, I think she says at one point. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course you didn't know you were going to get robbed today. <laughs> and then what would you have done? <laughs> oh, no, we can't get the bank pickup today because we're going to get robbed later. So when he goes out into the crowd, do you feel that he's um, he's kind of using this to show that he's a man of the people? Or do you feel that he's just showboating for his for his own sake? I think a little bit of both. Yeah. I think he feels very connected to his community. It seems like he's married Leon and he's trying to really embrace that side of him because he's clearly not with his first wife anymore. I think that he feels support from the people who are behind the barricade. Definitely. And I think that that is just like re-energizing him and keeping him going. So I don't know that he's necessarily showboating, but I think he keeps going out to almost like like – how extroverts recharge from being around people. I think that's a I good think way of putting it. I think he keeps going out in order to remember, yes, there is a reason I'm doing this. There are people who support me in this. And there are, like, are people who care about the outcome. You know what? I wasn't sure how, whether he's a showboat or whether he's uh, a man of the people. But I think the way you put it is is great because they don't have to be mutually exclusive. No. Like, yeah, he definitely loves the attention, yeah. but also he is kind of representing all of these people. He is representing a greater group of people than himself. Yes, and then it's revealed that he's also representing more communities than you think. Yeah, and isn't it interesting how, like, when he comes out, when it comes out in the news that he's gay, that the initial group of people who are cheering him now start, like, catcalling and booing, and then they turn on him so quickly. And the look on his face when he goes out there the next time and people are booing him, it was was kind of heartbreaking that he was like, you were on my side. What happened? But then the gay community shows up. Then the gay community comes and then he has a whole new... uh, And then he starts doing the same things over again. same thing. And um, one thing that I thought was really funny and I want to know how they did it was when he's throwing the money into the crowd. Yeah. How did they make it fly so well? I think maybe it was just windy. I don't know. But... Well, I did notice that when he threw it up in the close shot, it was kind of going one way and then on the wide it was going yes, the other. Yes, it was so. clearly. But I just like, did they weight the bills slightly so that they, because they like kind of float over the crowd a little bit and then straight down into the crowd? Well, you know what you should do? You should take a bunch of money and throw it and I will try to pick it up and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Let me let me go to the bank. Yes. Let me go hold up a bank. <laughs> Although our money's not anything like that money. No, because that's like, 
1970s paper money. Yeah, American money is still kind of like that clothy paper stuff. It is. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more substantial. Here in Canada, our money is very plasticky. It's like, it's all plastic, yeah. Yeah. Except for the coins, which are metal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we don't have plastic coins. We don't need to talk about the coins. We've talked about yeah, the we coins already had on a coin previous episodes. Right. There is this kind of theme throughout as well. So he gets everyone on his side. He gets um, hostages. The people outside the bank are all on his side. All on his side, but he gradually gets rejected by everyone as well. Yes. So the one crowd turns on him when it's revealed that he's gay. Uh, he says he really needs to talk to Leon, but in the end, Leon, not to any fault of his own, but is kind of just like, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this, yes. which is very fair, but it's still really disappointing for Sonny. Yes. So that's the point where he goes and calls his first wife, and that goes terribly. <laughs> and then the only people he has left are um, Sal and the hostages. And that's when the bank manager just says, like, I wish you had never come here at all. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy that in a situation where he has all of them at gunpoint, this is the first person who's really been outwardly negative to him. Yes. And it kind of hurts his feelings. It does. Yeah. You can tell that he's really, like, relying on these people that he has left. And then when they say that to him, it's almost like it's almost like hearing your dad say, like, you're a disappointment to me. I'm not angry. I'm I'm just just disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. And so I, I really think that he starts to think of the hostages as family. Yes, yeah, because they're they're definitely like on his, his side. People, now. yeah, because yeah, they're cooperating with him. And, and all he has left at the end is Sal, and ultimately, maybe not truly, but he kind of rejects Sal. Yeah, sad. So, like I was saying, this one is based on a true story, and usually you're not a big research person, but I think you did do some research on this. I did. Um, I really like the story of this movie, so I ended up actually doing a lot of research, and um, I was surprised how many like famous people were in this that I didn't that I didn't know. Okay. Oh, the research on the movie itself. On the movie itself, and then oh, okay. also on some of the things that happened. Okay. I don't want to take away too much of your thunder, but I, I probably know a good bit of the, the movie-related stuff. Oh, I know. And also, <laughs> <laughs> also I have watched a documentary on the, the true story as well. Of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, talk. So I uh, was reading about John, who Sonny is based off of. Mm-hmm. And he said that the movie was only 30% true. That's what he said. But if you read articles and you watch actual footage, because footage of all this exists, yes. it seems much more close to okay. than 30%. Interesting. But. Um, he also said that he loved Al Pacino and Chris Sarandon's portrayal yes. and that they like they got it. it they got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that he was I... really happy that they were selected for those roles because they really seemed to portray it properly. And I think um, he is a good person to ask about the portrayal of Leon because he knew the person Leon was based on. But Mm -hmm. I don't think a person themselves is a great judge at telling if someone did a good job playing them. Yeah, that's fair. Because the things I've seen of him, he's much less likable than the Sunny character, I think. Oh, okay. He's definitely more on the showboat side. He's definitely more selfish. But maybe he saw the best parts of him in what Al Pacino presented on screen. True. True. Um, And he only served five out of 20 years. Yes, yeah. And then he was out... And then he got thrown back in jail for parole violations. Oh, that I didn't know. He ended up serving a lot more time just because he kept violating his parole. And we're talking about the character of Sal. The real life character of Sal was a 19-year-old 
And so there's no real similarity between the two characters there. Sal is kind of created for the movie. Right. Because uh, Pacino wanted to work with John Cazale again. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he's great. He works yeah. he works really well in the movie, which yeah. is like loosely based on the true story. <laughs> I think it's pretty close from what it seems like. Right. I guess the characters might be like... Yeah, maybe Sal is a little different. That one we don't hear too much about. No. I hear the Leon one was pretty spot on. Yes. Um, a lot of the hostages and things like that were pretty close. Mm-hmm. The mother, there's a lot about the mother in this documentary called The Dog. And the mother just seems like a real saint, actually. Oh, really? And it's a shame that she's portrayed that way. Yeah, I, I would like to know more about her. Maybe we'll have to watch this documentary. So later on in life, John Wadowitz, I think is the real name of, I think the, so. of the guy. Uh, he became a much more outspoken, almost ambassador for the gay community of New York. Mm. And the, some of the best things he did, because he did a lot of pretty shitty stuff. <laughs> yes. But the best things he did was to um, kind of introduce people who were coming out into this society and trying to find safe spaces for people who didn't have many. His mother would often cook spaghetti dinners for all of these people who just had nowhere else to go. Interesting. Yeah, so she seemed like a really good person. That's amazing. Yeah, but and I like that. That's amazing. But then he also talks about like, oh, I would be the first one to introduce him because then I know I'd be the first one to be able to have sex with him. Ew. He's, he's like a... He's, he's real gross, actually. That's real gross. He it gets I, much worse. I don't like that, and yeah. I don't. I don't know that I want to know any more about it. He's not a charming man, but he's a complex guy, and I don't think he's a bad guy. Throughout this documentary, often says like, "Oh, I'm a pervert." So, and then he goes and talks about these things that he does, and he kind of has ways about manipulating people, which is pretty shady. But yeah, he's no longer alive. So yeah, he uh, passed away from cancer. Actually. Yes. Yeah. And the person that Leon is based off of actually died of AIDS. Yes. Yeah. But she did go through. This is one good part. So this is before the laws that were, I think, came from the Son of Sam case, where you're not allowed to profit from your crimes. Yes. By selling books or movies. This is before that. So he did get paid for the movie. He got paid. And then there were some discrepancies and he took... um, whoever the producers were to court, got more money. And he did pay for the operation for, his name wasn't Leon, but she became Elizabeth, maybe? Elizabeth Eden. Yes, Elizabeth Eden. Ernie, I think it was first. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Elizabeth Eden had a kind of a celebrity of her own. And she was on a lot of TV shows and was very well known. One other little fun fact from the real story is the day of the robbery... They went, they being uh, Sonny and Sal and the one other guy the who other I forget. Guy. Yeah. Um, they went and watched The Godfather starring Al Pacino for a little, like, kind of to get themselves psyched up for a robbery. Oh, yeah. that's that's ironic because then The Godfather ended up playing. How appropriate. Yeah. Interesting. There are a lot of things that the director took out of the movie because he thought it was too crazy that people wouldn't believe it. It would take away from the sense of reality if they followed the real story that much. Right. So, for instance, after Leon didn't come out to meet him, or Leon, uh, Ernie in real life, Sonny John called another man and said, well, she's not coming out here. You come over here. And he was a, a gay man who he had had some relationships with, and they made out on the street and things like that. Oh. And there's a lot of photos from the actual wedding, which were Sidney Lumet, 
I'd say Lumet, but I think he says Lumet, the director, mm-hmm. took out because he thought they were just so crazy that people wouldn't think it was real. Just like too much. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And he's a great director who did things like uh, 12 Angry Men and Serpico, which also stars Al Pacino. <laughs> Everyone loves Al Pacino. I know I do. Do you know? <laughs> I, I'm a fan. See, maybe this isn't so much of a do you love Dog Day Afternoon, but do you love Al Pacino? Because mm. you, I think after some of the movies I'll show you, I think you're going to okay. be a big fan. I'm, I'm working on he it. Did, he did so much great work in the 70s. <laughs> do you want to talk about anything else? Well, let's talk about the the 70s in general. Okay. So I was trying to kind of give you an idea of what the 70s were like. Do you feel like that came through through the movie? I think so. You were saying that it's a, it was a darker time. There's a lot more problems than in the 60s and a lot more like hardship. And, and that really comes well, it's, across. It's definitely more apparent in the art of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like things were just as terrible um, in a lot of ways. And you have to remember that this character, he, he'd been through all of these things. He'd been through Vietnam. He'd been through the Stonewall riots, Attica, of course. He's someone who had, was a firsthand witness to the collapse of all these institutions that he had trusted. So there's just no, no trust left that things are going to work out. He's kind of someone that's at the end of everything and feels like he has to take everything to his own hands. And that's, I think that's the feeling you get with a lot of 70s movies. Like we're going to talk about The Godfather and Taxi Driver eventually, and that's a it's a really prevalent idea in those movies as well. There's a, yeah, there's a huge lack of trust in the police, and I think that's when you get that vigilante or like having to do your own justice. Oh, you're ready for Taxi Driver, maybe <laughs> soon, soon, soon. I'm saving it up. Taxi Driver may be my favorite movie ever ever made you say that a lot though no i've only said it about taxi driver okay i say one of the best movies often well it'll be interesting to watch it so that's definitely how things felt in the 70s do you feel like that's different through generations how it's portrayed in movies at least because in the 60s there's a lot of bad stuff there was still like segregation Uh today there's still police shooting innocent people all over the place but we don't see that in the art anymore at least the mainstream art I think that a lot of what we're seeing in movies right now is kind of beyond what's possible right now. Like we're seeing a lot of sci-fi, we're seeing a lot of like superhero movies. And I think it's less like vigilante kind of taking the law into my own hands and more like what if there was a person who would protect us? It's more hopeful. It's more hopeful. Like there could be someone out there like the Marvel universe or Batman or any of those guys who might come around and like help you out Mm -hmm. where um, like the government or the police can't. I think that was present in the 80s as well. It seems like there was a definite switch like right around 1981 when things like Rocky and I guess Star Wars is a bit earlier, but you get a lot more escapism to deal with this. Absolutely. In the 80s, more you magic, had like, more like yeah. things that can not be explained with present day stuff. In the 80s, you had the underdogs, like anyone mm-hmm. can make it. You can make it out of out of your poverty and you could be just like Rocky. And now we have like, well, maybe Captain Marvel will come and save you. Yeah. It also seems like now we're dealing with things with nostalgia more than anything absolutely i mean bringing back all those superheroes that were big in 60s 70s 80s 90s yeah or all the disney movies where we'll just make the same movie over again but live action because we have the technology now i also blame that kind of stuff for the the trump presidency 
about everyone going like, remember how it used to be, but it's never a time that actually existed. It's yes. just something that everyone, this idea of this perfect past that we yeah. all have. And then we all want to feel like we're children again, because that's when it was safe. We yes. want that same Star Wars movie we had when we were a child, even though you're just seeing the same thing again and you're not really growing. But that's what makes us happy. We don't want change. We want to see the same thing again. We want it to remind us of a time when we were happy and we were safe. Right. Rather than showing us how we could gain that happiness or that safety. Uh-huh. Well, that's grim. Oh, wow. This is a low <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, but that's a perfect note to end a movie from the 70s on. Because they didn't end with uh, with a lot of hope. I'll probably tell this story once we eventually get to The Godfather. But I remember my uh, my film professor, when we were talking about The Godfather, how the way it ends, you'll you'll see. But it's uh, it's a low note. And people in the crowd stood up and applauded at that. Not the movie in a whole, but like what happened at the end, because they thought like, yeah, that's how it should be. When in reality, it was like, no, this is a terrible thing. And Mm -hmm. that's the time, I guess. And I think we we get that now, too. I'm always surprised when movies end where the like protagonist doesn't get what they want in the end. Oh, and I love it. Every See, movie I really, I've written no, and is I, like that. I'm not surprised in like a bad way. I'm but not it's like surprising. Mad, but I'm always like, yeah, okay. And then it really makes you think about the movie. Whereas mm-hmm. like the, the escapism you talked about, I think that the current audience really wants to see like a really well-rounded, tied up movie that ends on a happy note. And then you can just like move on with your day. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing. And it is useful. Yes. But... I feel less fulfilled in a way. Mm -hmm. So you'll be happy for that two hours, but it doesn't leave me with something. And I kind of enjoy when the protagonist or, you know, someone in the movie doesn't actually get what they want. Oh, I think you're kind of starting to come over to to my... This seems the exact opposite of what you said in episodes one through four. Okay. You're coming around. I am coming around. Maybe oh, you're going to love I Taxi Driver. more cultured now? You're going to love Deer Hunter and the conversation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Well, that's a happier note. Yeah. Should we wish everyone goodbye? I wish you goodbye. <laughs> How can they reach us if they want to tell us more sad movies that you can watch and be bummed out to? Uh, well, you can tweet at us or find us on Instagram at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. And I also just started tweeting. So I'm very excited about our Facebook page because it's easier to post to Facebook than it is to the other. The other two have like really weird requirements. And uh, so you can find us on Facebook at I love this. You should two dash podcast or you can email us. And not use social media at I love this, you should, and the number two at gmail.com. Really, if you just search I love this, you should two podcast, you're going to find us. You'll find us. Yeah. Both of us. On the internet. Out there. For everyone. Oh, I'm public domain now. I had no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lovely conversation. I loved it. Did you? <laughs> oh, the- no. I did too. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Good night. Good morning. No, 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 no. no, no. (laughs) Just one. One. Pick one. Go. Good day. Fine. (laughs) It wouldn't be an episode if you didn't say "Mm mm-hmm into your wine Wine glass. glass. It's true.